Welcome to Writing Black Joy Season 2. I am Sophia Robinson and I'm a writing coach and an editor and a story listener as well as the producer of Writing Black Joy, a virtual space that celebrates, centers, and promotes the voices of Black writers and storytellers with joyful and uplifting stories. Here, you'll find conversations with some of my favorite Black writers and storytellers, learn more about their projects and the joy they're bringing into the world, hear more about their creative process, and find inspiration for your own creative ventures, as well as tips and strategies for writing poetry, blogs, creative nonfiction, fiction, plays, and so much more from all types of writers, as well as a sneak peek into the writing life. You can even find your next favorite writer, book, poem, play, or blog. And if you are a Black writer who is looking for a coach or an editor to help you bring your joyful story into the world, then click on my website below to find out how to work with me. In the meantime, let's go to today's guest. Today's guest is Kim Howard. Kim is a longtime friend of mine, and she's also a fellow podcaster and the host of the R166 podcast, all about Barbadian history. Now, Kim is also the head of my book club. I've mentioned her a few times, and I'm so excited to have her join me today. Kim is a lover of Barbadian history, and she's also an experienced marketer, and she gives us a taste of her curiosity and knowledge in this episode. Kim and I talk about her podcasting journey and her love for Barbadian history, Bajan and other Caribbean sayings, how to define and shape the story you're trying to tell and researching true stories, framing your story for the chosen audience, how we can talk ourselves out of our greatest ideas, especially as perfectionists, and how to get past that self-doubt, podcasting, seasons, sound quality, and so much more. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Writing Black Joy. I'm Sophie Robinson. I'm your host. And today I am joined by a really longtime friend, <laughs> Kim, who is many things. Uh, I've mentioned her before because she's actually our book club queen. Uh, but she's also a podcaster. In fact, I'm going to tell you a bit about her in a minute. But before I do that, if you've wandered here and we're like, where am I? This is Writing Black Joy. Here is where we are celebrating and featuring Black storytellers with joyful, uplifting stories to tell from wherever, wherever they are in the world. Kim happens to be right here in Barbados with me. So I, I would say that I could reach out and touch her, but she is in St. Philip, not as close <laughs> as you might imagine. <laughs> so, um, but she's right here close by, and we are going to be talking all about her incredible podcasting journey. But first, let me tell you a little bit about Kim. So Kim is actually uh, been podcasting for about three years, and she's a marketing communications professional over, with over 19 years of experience. So her first foray into the world of podcasting, aside from being an avid podcast listener, was when she developed a life and finance podcast for her employer, which has recently completed its fifth season. It's incredible. I'm actually going to put the link in the because it's a really good podcast. I've been recommended to loads of people recently. Lots of good information <laughs> about life and finance, especially on the local scene here in Barbados. So if you're listening, you're a Bajan, look in that show notes and check out the podcast. Do it for Grantly. 
And then in 2021, she launched her first independent podcast called R166, and it is sharing stories about Barbados and its history. So I was so excited when that came out. I was like, <laughs> I have to find a way to get Kim on mine. And I, I found a way. So let's just go with that. Kim is an unabashed bibliophile with a remarkable curiosity about Barbadian history and is also a lifelong Julie Mango enthusiast. I'm so happy to have Kim here. Welcome to the show, Kim. Thank you, Sophia. Thank you so, so much. <laughs> I can't believe that I'm finally here. I know, right? I can't believe it either. I was, I'm almost excited to have you here as I was when R166 hit the airwaves because that was ugh, a long time in coming and I was so mm-hmm. happy that you brought it to finally. the world. Finally. We're going to start with you. Tell us a bit about R166. Well, yeah, that gives me no end of joy. So thank you, first of all, for having me on your show, Writing Black Joy. I think it's a great title. I think it's a great focus. So I'm really heartened that you actually thought of having me on. So thank you for that. Um, R166, I guess I should start with the fact that um, Barbados is 166 square miles. So that's where the idea for the name of the show came from. It's Our 166. So it's a podcast about some of the things, stories in Barbados, Barbadian history and Barbadian culture that sort of people take for granted or didn't even know that they didn't know about it because that's how it started for me about, I want to say maybe about five years ago or maybe six now. I can't remember what year we're in anymore, (laughs) but about five, six years ago, I happened across a story um, through the Barbados Museum's Facebook page and I was like, hang on. This is a major story. How is it that I never heard about this? And I love history. So I've been, you know, doing history from secondary school, but also just recreationally. I always go to history lectures if I can, or read history books, or, you know, like just try to learn more. And I was like, how did I not hear about this? So then I was like, no, 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 no. So I just, I was obsessed with the story. And I still haven't finished writing the story that I, that first story but it's coming. <laughs> Yay, I can't wait. But I went into the library, I dug through old newspapers and I'm like, okay, well, what are you going to do with this? And then I was like, well, maybe I'll start a podcast. And then I said, maybe, and maybe, and maybe for about, you know, three years. Mm-hmm. And then and so at that point, then I sat down and I started working on like, what is this going to be called? What's the focus? And I finally, like, I went through a list. I had something like, I don't know, 16 names that didn't work for whatever different reason. And then one of the things I did was like try to find the social handles and then some of them were taken, all those kind of fun things. So eventually at work. <laughs> I am, I am because like, that's a painful thing. Like you, you get wedded to a brand name and then all your social handles gone. Like what are you going to do? <laughs> so once I was secure with that, I held, I, lo- I, I went and created the accounts for all the socials so that I had those handles locked down. Like nobody was going to come with R166, but just in case. And then I sat on the idea for like another two years and thought about it and thought about it and thought about it. And then the pandemic hit and I was like, right, well, they're saying that you should use this time to be productive and create and create. Something amazing. And I felt nothing like creating anything amazing but I did think okay I've had people tap me for my thoughts on things that they were creating I was like come on Kim let's do this so I you know had to pull myself together and did some research 
switch from this first topic I was going to do because I thought in the pandemic, I didn't want to start with something that was a little heavier. Mm-hmm. And since we still are going through the pandemic, I'm going to have to shelve that idea. But I thought, let me start with something that had to do with Barbados and things that Barbadians were concerned about. So one of the things that was being discussed at that point in 2020 was, is there going to be a crop over? Mm-hmm. And for those of you who don't live in Barbados, Cropover is a major festival that we have every year. And it is a celebration of music, of food, of culture. And the, um, the, the thing about it is that, you know, people from Barbados come out and take part in this activity, but also people from all over the world, both Barbadians and people of Barbadian descent, as well as people who have nothing to do with Barbados apart from looking to have a great time. And I know, and I knew something about it origins of the festival but I didn't know everything that I thought I knew so I decided well since people are wondering whether this is happening I said let me look into it see what I could find out and that's where the first season of our 166 was born I then sat on that information for almost another year (laughs) before finally putting the pedal (laughs) I put my foot to the pedal and um, just getting it out there last year so that's how it was born yeah, I think sometimes that's how a lot of things are born with with one idea that doesn't that that you know you talked about having that initial idea and I remember having a conversation with you about that initial idea. I actually, know what it, I'm not going to say, but I remember mm-hmm. having a conversation with you about that initial idea. You were excited. You were looking into the old newspapers and stuff like that. Um, and so then when you talked about crop over a couple of years ago, I was like, I love that idea. Um, that's, that's great too. There's, there's so many, I mean, there's so many stories to tell. So I don't think you're going to run out of stories to tell, but I think it happens that way sometimes when you think, oh, it's going to be about this thing. And it's only when you start doing it, you're like, actually, I think it's going to be about something else. And yeah, that's how it happens. Sometimes, sometimes that good, that, that first idea, um, may get pushed down the road a little bit as other ideas come in that Mm -hmm. more suit the time. And I think you have to be able to run with it, especially if it happens, as you said, over, over a few years. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with sitting on an idea for a few years. I think that happens to a lot of us. We have these ideas and we think, uh, we have all these excuses and Kim and I always <laughs> talk about this because we are both avid podcast listeners. And so we have very high standards mm-hmm. and I, I apologize also because not even, not even my podcast meets my high standards, but also that you learn as you go along. And if you wait until you can get it perfect before you start, you may never start We're no. talking about this before you hit record. So that, that be some inspiration to anybody out there who has a great idea. You talked about the name of this this uh, series earlier, Writing Black Joy. I'd love to know why is that important to you? You and I both read a lot of stories. <laughs> we love our books. We love our book club, talking about it, dissecting it. Why are the joyful stories important to you? I think, to be fair, that for me, writing our stories is important, period. Yes. So I, and I know this is something that you and I have back and forth on like through the years of our book club and it's not all the stories are not joyful um but when we do come across them I think it's fantastic it's important for us I think as people who consume as black people consuming black literature and black materials to see ourselves reflected in a positive way I think it's important to know that there's something else to be told about us um 
And yeah, I think that's that's the primary thing to know that there's that there's another story, you know, Shamanda and Gozia Adichie talks about the danger of a single story. Yeah. And that is why I think our stories are important, period. So yes. the joyful part to me is a bonus. I know for you, that is critical. Yeah, it's right? critical to me. And I mm-hmm. I don't think that is because the other story shouldn't be told. I just mm-hmm. feel like for so long, that was what mostly what was told. That right. was my that was my impression. I can't claim to have read all, all the books on all the mm-hmm. topics. I, I can't. But I also, you know, for me, I felt like these story the the you know our stories are really important. I think all stories are important. I don't just think that it should be joyful. I don't think it should be like yay rainbows all the time. But I also don't think it should always be negative all the time either. And I that was what I was feeling. So for me, right. I was like, if I can find a way to showcase some of the joyful and uplifting ones, it'll bring balance because our lives are our lives. You know, for most of us, life is a mixture of joy and hard things and pain and all of the things. And I didn't like that. I didn't see the joyful parts reflected in stories that talked about somebody who was like me. I didn't like that. Um, as I got older, I realized that's not true. Those stories are out there too. And that's why I wanted to kind of put a spotlight on them as well as the people who are telling them and writing them because then it'll just put more out into the world. I'm like, there can't be enough. There can't be too much. So <laughs> that's, that's my feeling. But, you know, yeah. it's it's true that I think all stories should be told. I definitely, definitely agree with that. So um, I'm glad, though, that you you did start with crop over, not because the other story was heavy, which it was, but because I felt like, as you said, in the moment of the pandemic, it was just a great, um, like little, little juicy thing to have to, to, you know, a little something nice to read, to watch, to listen. Kim, obviously she's a marketer. So she did some great social media, um, stuff around it, which I absolutely loved. Um, we're going to (laughs) talk about that too, but I just thought it was a really, um, it, it was just, even though it had taken you so long, it really was perfect timing. So I loved how it came out and when it came out. Um, you. Do you have a quote, either from your work or from someone else that you admire mm-hmm. that you want to share with us? I think I like a lot of Bayesian expressions. But then if you ask me which one at a given time, I, I probably will just pop up with one at a time. You know, so for some reason, cat luck and dog luck is in my head, but it, that has nothing. <laughs> cat luck and dog luck. It's true though. Cat luck is not dog luck. Okay. No. Let's be clear but, about that. Yeah, I, I do. I guess that this, I, I do like um, our expressions and our Caribbean way of saying things. There's a richness to our expressions that I really appreciate. So I will chuckle over dance hall lyrics um, I will chuckle over, um, you know, some soca tunes because it's just it's just the way that we have of like uh, sometimes alliteration, but also sometimes things like uh, metaphor, you know. And I'm hearing a song from Lil Rick in my head right now, but it's not coming to me. <laughs> but I knew you were gonna say Lil Rick, Lil Rick and the lyrics, boy, Lil Rick and yes, the lyrics. Listen. He, he, oh. he, but especially less so no I find but definitely he was king of metaphors but yeah, yeah. but I, I do love our way of speaking I love our metaphorical way of speaking and our expressions not only in Barbados but across the Caribbean because a lot of them are similar and that's the other thing that I find fascinating fascinating and endearing about us in the Caribbean 
Yeah. One I always remember, um, I was at work and somebody was explaining something to me and what they were saying was, actually they repeated it several times and I just mm-hmm. could not understand what they were saying. And what they were saying was, <laughs> when did you fall, right? And so what I'm mm-hmm. trying to say is early in the morning, I'm having a problem and they're, and they're kind of talking about this pain that they're having and it's always early in the morning. But they said it and I was like, what <laughs> and I couldn't under, and it's only later on someone said to me they're like oh yeah that's something that people say that they're saying you know during that early morning period of time when the Jews falling mm. but it's like it was so out of context we're talking about <laughs> the person's like yeah yeah when did you fall I'm like what that's their time that's their that's time their marker time? it wasn't that's 5 a.m it wasn't 4 30 a.m it wasn't seven o'clock it was when did you fall when did you fall that's when it mm-hmm. happened and mm-hmm. so it it was it, it, you know i I like that even now I still hear new ones that I, I haven't heard before. So I absolutely love that. Um, so let's talk a bit about your actual creative process while you were, um, you know, over the different time frames that you were sort of thinking mm-hmm. about it and coming up with it. You talk about the history of crop over in this first season. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know you've interviewed a few people so you would have had to have put those interviews together. And, and then obviously there is the process of bringing it all together. So I'd love to know a bit about your own creative process, even in the research of it, but also then in the making of it as well. Well, I guess the first thing I had to find out is what is the story that I was trying to tell? And that and for, for all of the stories that I want to explore, they come from a question. So why I was interested in crop over was because First of all, the crop over, again, for people who are not from Barbados or the Caribbean, the crop over refers to the end of the sugarcane crop. Barbados mm-hmm. for over 300 enough years has grown sugarcane for export, less and less in the past 50 years. 10, 50 but years. for, yeah, like less and less, it's, it's, it's definitely been on, been on decline since we were born and before. Um, and that's for different reasons, economic reasons, export reasons, um, trade reasons, restrictions, all them kind of things. But it was the primary export from Barbados for from the begin, almost from the beginning of the establishment of this colony. And it's not a colony anymore, but it was a colony from like the 16, late 1600s. So sugarcane was grown here. Actually, the whole development of sugar as an export crop was perfected here. And then it made oodles of money for the British colonialist. But out of all of that, then in, I had heard, you know, in the 70s, crop over was introduced and 1970s, crop over was introduced. And so I've known it all my life because I was born in the late 70s. But then I was like, well, hang on. If we've been growing sugarcane since the 1600s, how did we introduce something that celebrates the end of the sugarcane crop in the 1970s? That didn't make any sense. And so then I asked a question. I was like, well, if that's the case, like where, why, why, why now? Why 300 years later did it suddenly become a thing? Only to find out by asking, who did I first ask? I don't even remember. Um, or maybe I just Googled it or something. I, I looked it up though. And then I realized that it had existed before. And one of the million history books that I had on my shelf actually had a whole article on it. So <laughs> I was like, oh, you should read this for a reason. And then I reached out to some people who have done some research on crop over and um, are connected to the NCF. 
And they pointed me to some of the materials that had more information. And then I realized that one of my old school teachers had done a lot of the research on crop over. So I was like, right, well, that's an easy thing. I need to talk to her. But then I realized, okay, well, she could fill me in on um, a lot of what happened in the, you know, like how crop over existed, what it, how it even began as a thing, as far as we know. Yeah, and yeah, then historically, right, from that historical context, because um, remember, we've been producing sugarcane for export since the 1600s. So how is it all between then and there in the 1970s? Like, what happened there? And then I wanted to know, like, that whole 1970s thing, what was that about? Mm -hmm. So I identified, you know, the people that I wanted to talk to, but I also had to identify what it is I wanted to ask them. So for me, that process involved first reading as much as I can um, on the particular topic, finding out what I could about those two time periods, you know, like sugar, sugar and the growth of sugar in the early 1600s and onwards. And then also what that involved, like where was there evidence of crop over happening? What did it look like from what I could find out? And then also what happened in the 70s? What was this big crop over was reintroduced in the 70s thing? And so I found a different number of papers, um, addresses from presentations over the years. And from there, I, I carved out a story, um, mostly in my head, to be quite honest. <laughs> and then I knew, but I was like, okay, how do I tell that story to people listening and to people who may never have heard about it before? And I, so then that would shape the questions I wanted to ask these particular people. And from there, I reached, I reached out to them. I mean, this was not all one flowing process. <laughs> As yes. I said, it took years, but I, I shaped out the questions then, had a list of questions, knew what I wanted to ask them, reached out to them, you know, spoke to them about it, and then set up the interviews. So that was the process of getting to that point of interviewing people. Once I interviewed them, then I still had to shape the story because it still, it still was a bit raw. And an interview like that can be wide ranging. And I didn't want, for, the, for me, the podcast um, needed to have to be a somewhat compact from the point of view that I listen to podcasts that are an hour long, but I've been listening to podcasts for like the last almost 20 years. There are people who've never heard of what podcast is. They don't even know what it is. They are not necessarily unfamiliar with listening to stories, but they're not familiar with a podcast, especially in a Barbadian setting. I mean, not only in Barbados, but, you know, in a mm -hmm. Barbadian setting. And I thought that it was important for Barbadians to hear this but also people with Barbadian connections in the diaspora. And I wanted to make sure that it was digestible. Mm -hmm. So I, that, like, I, I wanted to make sure the lengths of the, the episodes were something that people could commit to. You know, committing to an hour is a bit much, especially if you're not familiar with the medium. But maybe if you could spend half an hour or just about, yeah, you know, then that, that's something that you might be willing to do. And um so yeah, so that was that was also part of the decision making process. Like, right, well, I have these hours long interviews. <laughs> How am I now going to cut this so that it now flows and makes sense and um, helps people to to understand what it is that's being discussed, but in a in a reasonable amount of time. Yeah. yeah so, I mean, the thing I like about that is you know, you make a good point about thinking what is the story that I want to tell because mm -hmm. to me that's the difference between. Um, something that you know 
I guess they call it that narrative sort of format where mm-hmm. you are telling a story through this thing, through the six or 10 or how many ever episodes it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and through the conversations that you were having, bringing in the research that you would have found and that type of thing. But you st- even though you have all this raw information, how do you then shape it into something that tells the story that you are trying to tell? Because in every, you know, like every story, there's a hundred stories in there, right? Is it mm-hmm. pick out a particular character, you know, and, and speak about them? Is it a, something else? The, is the character the country? Is it the ceremonies? Is it the whatever? So it's thinking about it from that perspective and then coming up with a way of telling the story, as you see, in a digestible fashion. And all those decisions that you have to make when you are, telling a story whether it's a podcast even if it's a a documentary if it's tv Mm -hmm. whatever all of those things involve a lot of those decisions i think we take for granted and we just sit and watch and enjoy or not enjoy (laughs) so i think those are those are some great points i just wanted to let you know how you can support us over here at writing black joy firstly you can join our patreon community over at patreon.com slash sophia robinson you'll find the link for that in the show notes when you sign up over at patreon to support us you will get the opportunity to join our monthly group coaching calls and workshops that we'll be holding exclusively for patreon supporters so come on over and join the party it's so much fun over there other ways you can support us hit subscribe here on your podcast or over on the YouTube channel. You can also leave a podcast review, like our YouTube episodes, and share us with your friends. You can head over to our website and sign up for our mailing list, www.writingblackjoy.com. Also, follow Writing Black Joy over on Instagram at Writing Black Joy. All of these will be in the show notes. Thanks so much for listening and for supporting our show. I'd love to know what sort of obstacles did you face along the way, um, you know, either personal or just in actually putting it together? I faced this obstacle, me. The one inside <laughs> your head. Oh. The one inside my head. <laughs> the mm. one who, um, like, like, you know, you said earlier, Sophia, that we have very high standards. And like I said, I've been listening to podcasts for years and I know the ones that I like. I know the, what I like about them. But I also knew that, a, I have a day job. B, I don't have a vast budget. You know, I'm not NPR asking for contributions from people. <laughs> so, hey, if you want to buy me a coffee, please feel free to do so. But um, I'll I, put the buyer a coffee in the comments <laughs> as well, because I, I'm sorry, as an aside, I actually really do think it's important to support the the things that, you know, in terms of creative cr- people's creations, I think it's really important to support them, especially when, you know, you're not NPR and you don't have a big budget or you're not doing, because no. you did a podcast for your workplace, but of course they would have had a budget. Had a budget. Of course. Right. And, <laughs> you know, for them, it's, it, it was a part of their marketing. It's a part right. of their putting themselves out there. So they definitely mm-hmm. will have a budget for that, but it's mm-hmm. different when you're doing like a passion project and exactly like going into your own. And project. I, you know, so it was like, okay, well, what are the things that I broke it down into? What are the things, what are the components of this? So I know that social is important to get the word out. I knew that um, visuals are important. I know that song bites are useful in terms of just giving people a taste of what it is that you are bringing to them. And I, you know, so I thought, okay, those are components. 
all right, how am I going to divide that all up? But more important, more for me, the most important thing is sound because I am very much an audio person and um, I would more listen to something than watch something. Same here. So I wanted to make sure it sounded good, which meant I needed to have it well recorded and um, well edited. Now that involved me at one point, I did an interview sitting in my wardrobe um, because clothes make a great sound buffer. You try to avoid things like the, the sound echoing off the room. I also learned that sitting in this chair right here, I was able to do some decent recordings for some of my narrative pieces, the pieces that weren't part of the interview. And I, the sound engineer who was helping me was like, actually, that was pretty good. I was like, okay, thank you. That so was this, spot, this spot right here in my room <laughs> um, was where some of the magic happened. But yeah, so the, I had to kind of decide like, what is it that I wanted to work on and what I wanted, what I was willing to sacrifice. So I'm not big on sacrificing things, being a perfectionist, but I realized that there was something that I was going to have to give. And I thought that sound was the thing that I wanted more than anything. Yes, it would have been nice to have lots of videos, didn't have the time or the, the time I think was the hardest thing for that because not only do you do a video, but you have to like write a script for a video. You have to record the video. You have to edit the video. Um, and I know this because I study TV production, so I have a full appreciation for what's involved in that. <laughs> I've never worked in TV production, but I did study it. <laughs> but um, so, yeah, so I, I thought, OK, this I want to make sure that this sounded good and clear and sounded professional. And that's some of the feedback that I've had, which is this sounds so professional. Like, have is you met me? Really, really good. <laughs> I, I, have you met me? So. Yeah. You know, so those are the, like, that was the thing that was like foremost for me. And I actually got that idea from a friend of mine years ago when she was getting married. I remember she felt so overwhelmed by all the things that you could possibly plan for the wedding, like all the different things. Mm. And she said she had to just decide the thing that she was most important to her. And the thing she decided was the photos because she wanted the memories. And so, yes, there were lots of other aspects that could have driven her crazy and turned her into a bridezilla. But she decided she was most, the thing she wanted to spend money and energy on was the photos and the location for the photos and that's what she focused on so that's how I treated it I think that's such a good way to to kind of just decide like mm -hmm. this is the thing that's important to me I'm willing as you say you're willing to sacrifice other things because other things will be sacrificed and if you try to get everything perfect you know you may not actually get anywhere at all um I'd like to, if you don't mind, I'm curious because mm -hmm. I know you talked a bit about your own, you all, you're, you're standing in your own way. Right. What, how, how did that kind of manifest itself in terms of, I think for a lot of, a lot of us, we do get in our own way when we want to mm -hmm. make things and we kind of talk ourselves out of it for a long time and stuff like that. So how did that look and how did you kind of get past that, do you think? So you even realize I talked myself away from answering that question in the first place? I know, place. of course. It was and, not intentional. And, and but that's, and that's why I'm here to just bring you back. <laughs> um, a long time. You know, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna bring it back. <laughs> so a lot of it was self-doubt. And even though as on my in my day nine to five, I've produced and I co-hosted a podcast for three years, I know what's involved, I know what needs to be done. I had doubts that Kim Howard could produce and host her own podcast because I knew what I wanted it to sound like in my head. Shout out to Radio Lab. 
if y'all hear me, I'm always willing to, you know, come and sit at your feet. But um, Radio Live is one of my favorite podcasts because of its style of storytelling. And then also, I love Terry Gross. I think she's the best interviewer in the world. Well, I'm not Terry Gross, and I don't have her 50 years of experience interviewing people. But I, I knew some of the things, what some of the people who I held in high esteem and some of the work that I held in high esteem. And I was like, I don't think I can do that on my bare bones budget and my, you know, my little Amazon microphone. Um, <laughs> I was worried that like, it wouldn't quite sound as good as I wanted it to. Um, would, I, would I get the story right? Would people get it? You know, would I completely miss the mark? Would it bore people to tears? Like this is exciting to me and extraordinary to me, but would people be enthralled by this or would they just be like, that was 20 minutes of my life I can't get back, you know? So a lot of that self-doubt was just there. And I just was literally was scared. Um, I had done the interviews and I, it took me a lot of time to like, you know, work up to get to do the interviews. And then once I did the interviews, actually I did the first interview and then like the second one took me months to finally like, just yeah. ask the question, ask reach the out question. and ask the question. Because yeah. the no, the thing about that is the answer that I had at the time was no, because I hadn't asked the question. But if I asked the question, I could possibly get a different answer, which was yes. So finally, you know, asked the question and then once I asked the question, I got a yes. And it was like, oh, I got a yes. No, I actually have to do it. <laughs> no, I have to do this. And then, you know, like moving forward. So like I had points where like I felt like full of courage and full of certainty. And then other points was like <gasps> paralysis. Uh, even something like, you know, I wanted music to go with it. But I was like, how am I going to get the music? And then I just took a day off to only focus on, all right, what are the things that need to happen to get this thing out the door and I did my list because I by that time I'd had the interviews done so that was the material so then I was like oh but should I do more should I do more interviews yes I could do more interviews I could be interviewing all now I, there's still much so much more in that story that I could be telling but at some point I had to decide this is it this is where I'm going to cut it this is where I'm going to go with it if at some point I want to come back to it I can but there's enough material here that makes sense that gives a story, a beginning, a middle, and an end. So that was like, okay, so stop finding reasons. Because I even remember I, I sent it to you. I was like, Safia, does, does this story yes, work? Does this, does I this, did. this yes, work? I, I didn't yeah, find it, but you see. I, but you like history, right? So I like, I like history. And oh. also, I I was trying to just encourage you to, to pull <laughs> just the get trigger, there. right? I, I, I know I was like secretly like, oi. Just go. Just <laughs> go, go, right? Let's go, just let's go. go. So, yeah, I, um, I came back to it then, like, almost a year after the second interview. And I was like, Kim, actually, no. I think before that, um, I think my therapist said to me, she's like, I'm going to give you another month. And I was like, seriously? She's like, I'm giving you a month. At the end of summer, let me hear the first episode. That didn't actually happen. But what happened is that I got into full production mode. So by the end of the month, I didn't have a full episode, but I had a draft and I had, like I had outlined it, but I, I, I chopped it up yeah. and literally put it together to see if how I was envisioning chopping it up made sense. And it did. Mm -hmm. 
Good. So then I was like, oh, right. This means you have to do these narrations and record them, but you don't have money to pay for studio time to do that like you do for your work podcast. So that's how I sat down in this chair right here. And um, I closed all the windows. I closed all the curtains. That helps mm-hmm. with a little bit of a sound barrier. Yeah. And I can't remember if I put, I think I may have put some things around me, but I said, let me just try it and see. And once I had those, but then the other thing that really kind of like pushed me past all of my <gasps> panic was I launched it. Like I announced the date. And once I announced the date, it was real. It was real. And you then had a choice. I had, well, of course I had a choice. I could completely flit. Like nobody would have known. Oh, well, people so, would have well, known though. But anyhow. Well, people would have known, but like, all right. So Kim was supposed to have a podcast. It never happened. I saw her announce it. Like what, like, seriously, if you think about the worst thing, how, how is that a really, like nothing would have changed in my life. Right. No. Um, apart so from, I would have gotten a lot more annoying. You can handle and that. I, and I would have felt really horrible about myself. So I announced it. And once I set that date, then I had to then scramble to like, finally do the narratives properly, send them to the sound engineer, let him do the mastering on it and editing them the way that I wanted and that, that there, that there was a headache <laughs> mm. um, because I was doing it in between like coming home on evenings after work and whatever, but because I knew it had a finite time period. So it was not a daily show. It was a season. And yeah. even when I started, I wasn't a hundred percent sure it was only going to be four episodes. I thought it could possibly be five, but I knew that it, it was at least enough content for four. Mm-hmm. And so I decided where everything was being cut. I identified where I wanted narration to go in to help connect the pieces. And yeah, so I kind of scared myself um, with the help of others like Sophia, who also said to me, you know, just go ahead, go ahead. And yeah, so if I had listened to myself completely, there were points when I just shut off my voice, my inner voice. Mm -hmm. I was like, well, you announced it and you said that it's coming this day and furthermore, we did an intro where you said it's going to come every other week for the next however long weeks that that takes to finish it. So guess you better get to step in and it's having right. put that out there, like I had to do it. Right. So there were some late nights involved. Um, there was some stress, but it was a finite and B I knew that it was coming together. And then like the first episode launched and I couldn't believe that it had actually launched. Um, and the response was really, really good. Yeah. And the the downloads were crazy because I know like for a first episode, getting even like 10 downloads is is a lot. I got hundreds. Um, yeah. And that was that was due mostly with like excited family and friends sharing it, which which worked out really well in my favor. And like a market that I hadn't quite figured out how I was going to tap into, which was the diaspora market, the Barbados diaspora market. And even the Caribbean diaspora market, because I've had people from other, like live overseas who are part, who are from Car- of Caribbean descent or mm. from the Caribbean, who've, you know, said like they enjoyed listening to it and it was great to hear the story and that type of thing. And that all kind of happened by happenstance because I shared it with a couple of cousins who live in the UK primarily. And they shared it in like some Beijing groups and stuff that I hadn't known about. And so, yeah, so that gave me the momentum. like, oh, there are people who actually want to hear about this. Yeah. So and I guess you're going to get on with the second episode. And you see, this is something that I think 
you know, obviously we both lived overseas at various points in time. It was, I spent a long time in the UK. And then mm-hmm. one thing I knew for sure when I was in the UK is I would have loved something like this. I would have mm-hmm. absolutely have loved something like that. And if I felt that way, there are going to be other people that would have felt that way. So I shared it with, you know, as many people as I could. I shared it, um, mm-hmm. you know, not that I have a big social media or whatever, but I shared it with as many people as I could. I have friends of Beijing descent in the UK, in the US, wherever. And I just shared it around as much as I could. And I think I'll probably hey, have you. other people who did, oh, that's fine, who did the same thing. And everybody absolutely loved it. I mean, it was brilliant. And I think we are our own harshest critics sometimes. We really, oh, for sure. really, for sure. really are our own harshest critics sometimes. And so as you said, sometimes you just got to shut off that critical voice and be like, well, it's happening now. So <laughs> here's my list you know I have my list I, I'm like you I have a list like I tick things off mm-hmm. every day so we can just keep moving forward Boring. but to anybody who's even thinking about doing a podcast and I'm gonna ask if you have any advice in a minute my advice would be season <laughs> you and I had mm. that conversation about whether you're gonna have an ongoing thing or have a season and even for me with this I was just like I wanted it to have a beginning middle and an end I wanted to be able to tell myself right you're only doing 10 episodes or 12 or whatever the case may be and you're gonna do xyz and then you can stop because I think sometimes also for me one thing that doing a season and stepping away from it allowed me to do was kind of step off of it and realize, okay, I'm not going to do that again. I want to do this again. This I will do. Ooh, this thing that I never even expected Mm -hmm. happened. And now how do I tap into this? And it gives you that distance from it. And so to me, that's why I'm so happy that I did seasons. Um, And I don't know um, what, you know, one of the things we're going to discuss shortly is like, what would would you do differently next time? But before we get to that, Mm-hmm. What was your proudest moment doing this whole process? Um, I think probably just like seeing it appear in my podcast app and um, yeah, just seeing it in my podcast app because like I have how many ever subscriptions to how many different podcasts and just seeing my podcast loaded there with all these other podcasts that I listened to meant like it was real and that people had access to it. It was no longer a story in my head and it was a story that was out in the world and people were listening. So that the proudest moment was, I, I think, seeing it there in my podcast app and realized this is a real thing now. Yeah. Um, oh, I love yeah. that so much. But I, I, I know that moment too. I took screenshots. Uh, I was like, Here's my podcast. My podcast. I love it so much. But um, yeah, that that really felt good, you know, seeing it. And even if like I'd only gotten 10 downloads, like it was still there, it was still a real thing in my podcast app. And the good thing about a podcast that I have continued to realize with my podcast, our 166, as well as the one that I produced for work, do it for Grantly, the is that it's a gift that keeps on giving. Like the information is there forever. And so for people who are unfamiliar with podcasts, it's like a, think about like a radio show, but with a radio show, you have to be there, right? But this is something that's recorded and available for you to access until thy kingdom come. Yeah. So the people have continued to download it. And every week I'm like, who are these new people? <laughs> there where are they go. coming from? Um, I don't know where they're coming from. It would be nice to know. And what brought them to the podcast, you know, 
this particular week as opposed to how many ever months when it was October I launched you know what brought them to the podcast now versus four months ago but I'm not going to complain and I'm not complaining but that's the other thing to to be heartened by because um, I'm in like some Facebook podcast podcaster groups Mm -hmm. and you know some people are like you know like I only got this many downloads or this is happening and this is not happening but everyone is the reinforcement is like to have patience and to know just continue to produce the content because the content is there people can pull on it and you can also improve on it yeah yeah that's that's that makes so much sense I love that um what might you do differently next time I'm curious um I think I will get I will have the editing further down like I I literally was doing that every like I, I every week <laughs> I was still like yeah because oh, because wow. I because I forced myself to push it out, mm-hmm. I wasn't done. Right. So, so I, I had raw yeah. footage, yeah, but not finished product. So that was part of the reason. And like I didn't want to stress myself out. So I, I could have done it every week for four weeks and have it be like a quick short season, but I knew that I needed the time. And I didn't want to because I knew that I delayed this for years. I didn't want to say, okay, I will take some more time and finish all of these episodes before I launch, which is probably the better approach. And that's what's often recommended. But I knew that if I did that, I would just feel like I was delaying further and laying that voice in my head, you know, say, well, maybe you ain't ready. Maybe you shouldn't do this. More time to talk you out of it, right? Yeah. So I was like, okay, we're going, okay, we're going, we're going, we're going to launch this. We're going to run with this. And if that means that you're going to spend the next week and a half scrambling to get the other episode ready, that's fine. It's only four, four episodes. You can get this done. And yeah. I did. So I would like to not have that happen next time. <laughs> uh, that would be good if I had. And I mean, I don't. Yeah. Like, yeah, I think that that would be that would be the best way to do it. That would give me more time to sort of reflect. Also help me with, you know, generating the right kind of social media messaging and any other messaging I want to create around it. Um, yeah, so that would be, that's what I, I'm aiming to do differently for season two. <laughs> Sounds good to me. And you are the marketing queen, so I know you'll figure that out. No problem at all. <laughs> so that is perfect. So then what advice, because you've, you've given so, many, so much great advice to anybody who's creating a similar type of project. And if you have not listened to this podcast, uh, don't, I mean, don't press pause now and go and listen because we almost <laughs> Like, you know, sometimes subscribe and add it to your playlist. Subscribe and add it to your playlist. You will absolutely love it. Love learning about crop over um, and the season here. Uh, What other advice might you give a budding podcaster or a budding creative that's trying to create something like this? Um, Oftentimes, you know more than you give yourself credit for. And so the voice that might want to tell you, well, maybe I'm not such, I'm not qualified to to tell this story. But the important thing about this is like, I'm not a historical expert. I'm a historical enthusiast. Um, I'm a culture enthusiast, but I know that there's questions to be asked. And so I credit myself with knowing a lot about the questions that are to be asked. And I credit myself with knowing um, also what things that people don't know or people don't understand 
Now, does that mean I don't know? I know everything that people don't know or that they don't understand? No. But I, I know I know a fair amount. So if I can help somebody fill a tiny gap of knowledge that they had, or even a gap of knowledge that they didn't even know they had, because that's you know part of why, why R166 exists, to fill a gap of knowledge that people, people often talk about the fact that, oh, they didn't learn this at school in history. They didn't learn that at school in history. Well, school can't teach you everything. This is why the internet exists. And so there are stories about whatever it is that you're interested in. You know, I listen to, on occasion, I listen to a plant podcast um, because I, I, like, I like plants <laughs> and I like caring for them. Now that lady has learned a lot of what she's done through trial and error. She's not like some botanist or anything like that, but she's sharing what she knows. So give yourself credit for what you know and what you know that you're capable of finding out because you may not start off knowing it, but you at least have the capability and the willingness to learn more. So take somebody along with you on that journey. Yeah, that's great advice. I love that so much. Um, so we know you are a, a bibliophile, self-proclaimed. Uh-huh. What type of thing do you enjoy reading? What's something recently that you read that you want to share um, with us? I love reading. Now, this is it's a category of fiction that this is what you'll call it, find it in the bookstore, but I don't understand why it's called this literary, what's called literary fiction. Yeah, I'm not sure why it's I've called never that. understood why that category exists where that name exists but I guess that's to define it from I don't know I figure everything that you read is some form of literature <laughs> I thought but, so too, yeah. but I get you so I like I like novels um I like novels about I like novels about the Caribbean and West Indies um, my soft spot is for like West Indian fiction but I also I like a good story and a story that's well crafted I like people that are great wordsmiths and who can masterfully manage the language. So one of my favorite authors, though I haven't read anything by him recently, is Stephen King, because as much as his stories scare me, Mm -hmm. the man can write. They are scary. Um, (laughs) They are scary, but, you know, he can write. And I actually mean to revisit a lot of the work I read by him in my teens, because I think as an adult, I have a different appreciation that I may have had then. But I like, um, there's been a great Caribbean, West Indian Renaissance. I consider it a literary Renaissance of late. And the world is finally coming to pay attention to some of our authors. So there's Sherry Jones from Barbados, who I love. And Mm. Sherry's another masterful storyteller. So that's the kind of work that I like. Again, she dealt in her first novel, because she wrote some short fiction um, short stories before that, but her first novel, which is How the One-Armed Sister Sweeps Her House, mm-hmm. you know, but the way that she handled it and the way that she wrote these stories was compelling. And it, like, those are stories I want, stories that I'm engaged in. So right now I'm reading a book called Conjure Women, and it's set between the present day of post-slavery in the U- U.S., and um, slavery time in the U.S. So those are the two time periods. I love historical fiction as well. And I found myself dropping into a Southern U.S. accent. And that is something that I do a lot. <laughs> love it. I, I, listen. When, I'm, when I'm reading a story, I mean, I know I'm truly, you know, caught up in the story. My brain slips into whatever that is because I'm there in that place with the people. One of the, fir- one of the books that we're going to be doing for our book club this year is one of my favorites from last year, which is 
Leonie Ross's This One Sky Day, which has also been published as Poppy Show in the US, I think. And I love that as well because it's a fantastical story. I but really she also can it. write and like take you along on this journey. Uh, there is a Caribbean element to it, though the, the islands of Poppy Shore are entirely fictional and they're based from what I can understand on some other part of the world. But like the language and the cadence is Caribbean. And so that automatically warms my heart. But any story that is compelling, I realized that, um, yeah, that's, I need, I need a strong, strong story strong story well written mm -hmm. and usually with um a compelling lead character and sometimes the character can be somebody who is seriously flawed like i mm -hmm. don't like perfect characters because they don't exist in real life oh. so that's a little bit into what i like <laughs> that sounds good and i will say always remember i wish my sister is obviously every time she i talk about it she messages me to correct me but i simply cannot remember the name of the book but my dad saying that he was on a train reading this mm -hmm. book um he's reading the book reading the story and he was like he didn't even think it had affected him that much he was about to get out of the train he put his umbrella up and stepped out and it was bright sunlight and he realized he'd been reading about this rain in this book and he was convinced it was raining outside and he didn't even think it had like impacted him that much and he was like mm -hmm. wow okay <laughs> like mm -hmm. he literally steps out with his umbrella up thinking it's gonna rain and it was like brilliant sunshine outside and he didn't he wasn't even aware that that was <laughs> okay so clearly he was in the book <laughs> yes. so i love i love stories that do kind of like draw you in I can like transport that. you yes yes yeah. so i'm i am there with them i can see the stuff i'm imagining what it smells like what the people look like um you know when they talk about clothes on the clothesline i'm imagining them you know they talk like the book i'm reading right now they're talking about like calico material and so I have a picture of that in my head all of that those descriptions are important and um I really appreciate them yeah that is that's good so you know I'll 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 put some of the names in the in the in the show notes as well if anybody wants some good books to read Kim's always she recommends some good books we, we all always agree but <laughs> no uh, we don't. I'm still here after all these years so <laughs> not the worst it's, it's pretty good I, I love my book club um now, where can we find you? Where can we find We know we can look on our podcast app for our 166 podcast. Um, I know you have some social media. I'm going to drop everything in the show notes, but like where can the audience get to know a bit more about the podcast, when the next one's coming out, that type of thing? The Okay, so you can know about the podcast, like Sophia said, on the any podcast app, um, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you may listen, CastBox, anything like that. The And you look for Our 166. Those are all words, not numbers. Our 166. And then for um, finding out more about what's happening with the podcast, when you can hear more, we're on Facebook and Instagram. And also on Twitter, but more mostly on Facebook and Instagram. And again, it's facebook.com slash our 166. Same thing at our 166 on Instagram and on Twitter. Perfect. And the website should be ready, fully loaded sometime before the next season starts. So you'll be able to hear about that too. <laughs> Perfect. That sounds good to me. Take your time. You know, like I said, I think, I think you kind of, one thing I learned with this project um, about the whole website thing was like, when I first imagined this project, the thing about it I imagined the most was actually the website. I was like, it's going to be this beautiful website. 
people are going to be walking like like it's like going to be like the, the um, digital equivalent of walking through a museum or a, a, you mm. know, a gallery. And furthermore, I, I created the website and I don't have that level of skill. But second of all, people weren't using it the way that I thought. Mm. Um, and I think sometimes you have to actually have that product out there for a bit to kind of know how people are going to interact with it and then kind of choose how. So, you know, now, now that you're putting the website up now, I feel like you'll have a much better idea of what information people want to be on there and how they're going to navigate within all that which you might not have known if you had tried to do the website first. So I think, you know, it's just kind of a plug for don't feel like you have to need, have every aspect of everything together to put oh, something no. out into the world. No. And I, I also like at one point I was like, I should really finish the website. I shouldn't launch before. And I was like, because mm-hmm. you probably will take another, I don't know, three months to get that sorted. So I said, nope, we're going to go ahead and it'll be, be all right. And it'll be fine. And And the good thing about it is, is that like um, the hosting company for the podcast, they host, like I can use their URL. So they have a, there's a page with all of the podcast right there on them. Um, And I don't know the off top of my head. So I'd have to. That's okay. We'll have the link in the show notes anyway. That's fine. And you know, I think most podcasts, uh, hosting companies do have like a little page where Mm -hmm. you can access it through the through the web, because again, you know, we talk about people even knowing what a podcast is. Um, yes. I have some friends, uh, people that I know who I was recommending, even when your podcast came on, I was recommending to it and they, they didn't listen to podcasts. So for me to explain to them, like go into your podcast app and search for this thing, they were like, <laughs> download a podcast, podcast app first of all. <laughs> You're like, okay. I'm like, okay, here's a link to the page. You can just hit play on this page. So you don't even need the website per se. You have mm-hmm. already have some way of people to access it when they don't want to. Of course, the benefit of having a podcast app is you can download it and hit the road with okay, it wherever you are in the car when you're out for a walk or whatever the case may be. So, um, yeah, you know, you have a old website there anyway, but you can't, we can't wait until you have everything in place. So I'm really glad yeah. that you, put it out into the world and thank you so much for joining me I uh, really appreciate your time thank you and for having me yeah anytime anytime and listen to our 166 anybody who's listening to this now now is the time because we're wrapping up now is the time to go and listen to our 166 see how much you love it uh follow kim at our 166 on ig mm-hmm. you know when the next season is coming out Follow us here uh, at Writing Black Joy on IG as well. So you know when future episodes are coming out. And thanks for joining us, folks. Happy reading. Bye. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. You can find out more about our guests in the notes below. And don't forget to hit subscribe to subscribe to our channel so that you don't miss new episodes when they drop. And if this has inspired you to get your own writing project into the world, Click on my website below and learn how you can work with me as a writing coach or an editor. Until next time, I send you big love from a small island.